Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. My name is Scott. I'm the pastor at this church, and um, we're going to be hanging out in our passage in Isaiah this morning. Amazing passage in Isaiah 65. Would you pray with me as we dive in? Oh, Lord. John the Baptist says, not one thing can be given to you unless it's given from heaven. And Lord, we ask you for the gift of your word. We know it's alive. We know it can slice through flesh and bone and ideas and 2020 right to our core. And we ask for that this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Um, I love a the... Chilean poet Pablo Neruda. I'm a big Neruda fan. And uh, one of his most famous poems is a poem called Walking Around, which is this uh, very depressing kind of existential and also humorous poem about just the exhaustion and the weariness of life. And let me read you an excerpt from Walking Around. It so happens I am tired of being a man. It so happens that I walk into tailor shops and cinemas, withered, impenetrable. The smell of barber shops makes me break down and sob. The only thing I want is to see no more stores, no gardens, no more goods, no spectacles, no elevators. It so happens I'm tired of my feet and my nails, and my hair, and my shadow. It so happens I am tired of being a man. I don't want to go on being a root in the dark, insecure, stretched out, shivering with sleep, going on down into the moist guts of the earth, taking in and thinking, eating every day. I don't want so much misery. Now, my hunch is most of you haven't recently gone to get a haircut and broken down sobbing just because you smelled the smell of, like, sports clips or whatever. Um, But this poem hasn't connected with millions of people throughout history. This is a famous poem, especially in South America, um, for no reason. It so happens I'm tired of being a man. I just can't go on in this dull hamster wheel tedium of life. Those words, withered, impenetrable, insecure, stretched out, shivering with sleep. You might use different words, but I wonder if that hits you somewhere. And as much as we might want to dismiss Pablo Neruda as just this crazy poet who is really morose and melancholy, um, we can't dismiss it too easily because one of the wisest people in history uh, wrote something extremely similar at the center of the Bible. And that is the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I'm going to turn to Ecclesiastes 1. I do encourage you to get your Bible, and if you have one, you can flip there with me. If not, it's totally okay. You can just listen. But this is from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and I want you to hear how Ecclesiastes and Neruda actually sing in harmony here. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. 
All things are full of weariness, and a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. The ear is not satisfied with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it can be said, see, look, this is new? No. It's already been in ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Neruda says, I'm tired of being a man. And the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, all things are full of weariness, and a man cannot utter it. If you're new to the Bible, um, the book of Ecclesiastes is a part of the wisdom literature of Scripture that offers us this beautiful, piercing, divinely inspired skepticism about life. Um, and far from being just like the Eeyore of Scripture, which sometimes it feels like, it's like, wah, wah, you're the Ecclesiastes. Um, it's actually really precious, and I love that it's in Scripture because it puts words to emotions and experiences that we all feel. Um, Herman Melville, the guy who wrote Moby Dick, who wasn't necessarily a practicing Christian, said it was the truest of all books. And at the center of Ecclesiastes is this claim that this writer is saying that all life is vanity, and that Hebrew word means something like wind. It's like, whew, all life is just, whew. And there are two main reasons he comes to this conclusion, where he's getting this weariness. He's tapping into that Neruda experience. First is, everything's the same. Um, or as he would say it, there's nothing new under the sun. That comes up over and over again in that book. All of history on a cosmic, historical scale is like Groundhog Day. <laughs> nothing new ever happens. It's all been done before. Um, in our home groups, we've been studying the book of Daniel. And my wife and I have been able to hop in many of your home groups and study it with you. And if you've been, if you're in one of our small groups, we've been in these chapters that are crazy prophetic visions, but they're about the rise and fall of kingdoms and new crazy dictators coming up and all kinds of stuff. And we're reading this bizarre literature from thousands of years ago, but what has come up again and again in our home groups is, man, I kind of relate to this. This feels a little bit like right now. Um, and I know I'm not the only one who said that because I've heard all of us dialogue about this. Like, wow, I feel like the same thing is happening in 2020. That's just us experiencing there's nothing new under the sun on a historical level. What has been is what will be. But this is also true personally. If that's like there's nothing new under the sun politically, uh, globally, what about for you? When Ecclesiastes says, the eye is never satisfied with seeing, nor the ear with hearing, I get it. Something about the idea that the river flows into the ocean and it's never full is discomforting in some ways, isn't it? Days blur into weeks, weeks blur into years, years blur, blurs into a lifetime. Have you ever felt like you were in a rut just personally, like you were on a hamster wheel and you longed for just something new in your life? It so happens I'm tired of being a man, Pablo Neruda says. There's nothing new under the sun. 
That's the first reason Ecclesiastes says life is vanity. It's all the same. There's nothing new. The second is, it's all going to be blotted out by death anyway. And we didn't read a lot about this, but as you read on in the book, this is a huge theme. Sure, you can work hard, you can make money, you can create things, but you're going to die one day and you're going to lose it all. Um, There are so many parts of Ecclesiastes that talk about how you can build a huge business or have all this money or plant all these trees, but you're not going to enjoy it. Somebody else is going to come along and take it. Sure, wisdom, pleasure, family, work, knowledge, the book goes through all of them. They're all great, but they're impermanent. They slip through your fingers. Sure, you can fight for justice, Ecclesiastes says, but death has a way of being impartial. It can steal the good. It doesn't come on the wicked. He's grappling with this in the book. So it's all been done before, and it's all going away, so what is the point? Ecclesiastes, fascinatingly, does not really answer its own skeptical questions. And this is for another sermon and a a bunny trail, but I love that. The Bible sometimes, if you're new to the Bible, asks harder questions than we do. The Bible sometimes is more honest than we are. What about us? How do we deal with that emotion? For our part, um, when we come up against the vanity of life, I think we respond in two ways. And I wonder if you can identify yourself in one of these camps. First, we just keep on searching for the new thing under the sun. We scramble for the thing that will fix us and kind of like solve it. Uh, You have a massive midlife crisis, right? You buy a new red Corvette. You think that's going to solve it. You start yoga, even though you hate yoga, but you're like, Maybe this will help. Uh, In meditation, whatever it is, you flip through Magnolia Journal and figure out the new recipe or the new thing that you need in order to fix your life. Maybe that's you. The The midlife crisis option, whatever part of life you're in. The second is we give in and we become fatalistic. Um, This is the same ditch in dealing with this. We admit to ourselves that life is pointless. The world's never going to change. We're never going to change. And so you basically grab your sweatpants and a pint of ice cream, and you're like, just let the river run into the sea. It's never going to change anyway. Um, Or you walk around like Pablo Neruda, and you write really morose poetry. Uh, That's another option. It's a good option. All right. Super downer intro to an Advent 3 sermon, I know. Um, (laughs) depressing things to contemplate uh, in the Christmas season, but we have to confront this truth of our existence. We have to hear Ecclesiastes speak. This is why it's good to have some morose poetry in your life because you get somebody to put words to something that maybe you're not often paying attention to that you also feel. For thousands of years, this was life, this never-ending cycle of the feeling of the weariness of a hamster wheel and everything fading to black until... Until God called the prophet Isaiah to start whispering something into the world. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Chapter 43, verse 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Chapter 48, verse 6. You have heard and now see all of this. And will you not declare it? 
From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known before. And all this brings us to our beautiful reading from Isaiah chapter 65. You see the progression over the whole book of Isaiah in these words of newness. Our passage begins, for behold, and they're always pre, uh, come with a behold. Hey, listen, look, behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Set against the backdrop of Ecclesiastes, and I might add Pablo Neruda, um, do you hear how revolutionary and explosive those statements are? That word new is not a throwaway word in the, in the book of Isaiah. They're load-bearing words, that word new. That comes with precious biblical cargo, that word new. Ecclesiastes says in chapter 1, remember, is there anyone who can say, look, here's a new thing? And Ecclesiastes is like, no. But Isaiah seems to respond, ah, yes, there is. God can say that. He is saying that, and he is doing something new. And as you read on, this is one of the cooler parts in, in Isaiah. If you want to flip to it really quick in Isaiah 65, you discover, um, and this could be a cool meditation for you to read Ecclesiastes and then come back and read Isaiah 65, you discover that the pictures and the images in Isaiah 65 are really parallel opposite of what is makes the preacher in Ecclesiastes so downcast. So in verses 18 to 19, we see that this new movement will replace weeping with rejoicing. See that big theme in verses 18 to 19. In verse 20, we see, and kind of the answer to, to death, untimely death, that long life and enjoyment will replace untimely death and the cruelty of death, whether it's for an infant or a young man or woman. We also see when it talks about the accursed of the wicked, that justice will replace injustice, that there will be a reckoning in this new movement. And then in verses 21 to 23, you see the exact opposite of what bummed out the Ecclesiastes guys so much in that you work so hard and you never get to enjoy anything you work for. Well, look at verses 20, 21 to 23. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. It even says in verse 23, they shall not labor in what? Vain. Don't think that's there on coincidence. It's amazing. So before we go any further, let's just stop and consider what this means for a second. First of all, on a political, if, if you've been reading Daniel and that's bummed you out, the world is just like this. We are just doomed to repeat again and again in our brokenness the mistakes of history. And life feels like that, and every generation, by the way, has its own reckoning with that reality. Oh my gosh, we're committing the sins of our fathers and our mothers. But Isaiah is saying that God has not left the world for us to destroy ourselves. He has not left the world on a historical, political, global hamster wheel of brokenness. Amen? Wow! He's chosen to intervene in it, to redeem it, to transform it, to renew it. But second of all, consider what this means for you. Because all the stuff in Isaiah 65 is personal, right? 
They're all like things that matter to a person. Enjoyment, the life of an infant. Purpose in your, the work of your hands and what you've been called to do. For you and I, this means that where yoga or red Corvettes, not knocking on red Corvettes, I love red Corvettes, uh, lifestyle choices where all that stuff has failed, God has come to offer us a new thing, a new way. When everything else has shown itself to be weary, wearisome, tiresome, it's almost like Ecclesiastes asks the question, and points out that there's nothing new, and then just hangs that curveball for Isaiah to just come up and just obliterate into a home run out of the park. That was a baseball analogy for those of you who don't know baseball. Hung curveballs are easy to hit. God offers a way off the hamster wheel. Okay, so what is the new thing? That's what you should be asking. That's what I was asking as I was thinking about this. Like, how does this actually, does this ever take on anything substantial, or is it just Isaiah blowing kind of religious smoke here. Isaiah, all those passages in Isaiah, even Isaiah 65, were preparing the people ahead of time for this new thing so that when it happened, they would be ready for it. They would be able to say, oh, this is the new thing. Before it springs forth, I tell it to you. I just love that. And all of that prophetic energy, energy you know where I'm going with this, all of that, longing points to this single event 2,000 years ago when the new thing happened. What Isaiah said came to life. There was a star, unlike any in history, that even crazy, wise, astrological dudes in the East saw and were like, that's a new star, huh, that led to a child that was unlike any in history, to a birth unlike any in history. And the child was unlike any in history because this was God become human. This was God intervening to do his new thing. And then the child grew up and lived a life unlike any in history. His teaching, his authority, his power, his compassion, his forgiveness, his love, utterly new. And then his death was unlike any in history. He died on a cross like many under the Roman Empire did, but the Bible is really clear. Something more was happening in this death that was a new thing. And that was that God was entering into all of the weariness and the death and the vanity and the brokenness of our existence and taking it on himself completely so that you and I could be liberated from it completely. Nothing is a worse hamster wheel than the cycle of sin and the cycle of death. If there's any cycle that you want to get out of, it's that. And if there's any cycle you can't get out of, it's that. And Jesus dies on the cross to liberate you from that. And then his resurrection was unlike any in history. Lazarus, Lazarus Jesus raised from the dead, but he wasn't resurrected in the way that Jesus was. When Jesus rose from the tomb, that's him kicking open the door of the new way forever. So that not only can we be liberated from sin and death, but we can walk in this new way of life. And Christians have said for a long time, when people are baptized, that you might walk in what of life? 
newness of life. Jesus is the new thing under the sun. Jesus is the new thing under the sun. Is there anyone who can say, look, this thing is new? No. Except Isaiah comes on and says, oh, yes, there is one thing that's new under the sun, and that is the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. He and only he is the gateway to the new. For the whole world, for America, for the globe, and also for you today, this morning. And I love that we're reading this in Advent because the, the new movement of Jesus is tied to his comings, which is what Advent is all about. The new thing begins in his incarnation, in his first coming. That's when it starts, the star to the child, to the life that would flourish into a church and a new people in a new way. And on Jesus' second coming, he will complete it. Indeed, the Bible ends looking to that day, his second coming, in the book of Revelation when Jesus says, behold, the same behold, and what does he say? I make all things new, all things. And so it begins as a, as a movement and as an invitation in his first coming and grows until the entire cosmos is made new at his second when he completes it. So where does that leave us? Again, this is the thing that I was munching on this week, right in between those two things. 2020. We can't say the new thing hasn't begun, because it has. We can't say that the new thing is finished. That's what we're waiting for, for him to make all things new, to perfect the work that he's begun. What we can say with utter confidence, is that the new thing is happening. It's live. No matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what stage of faith you're in, if you're watching this and you're even new to Christianity and Jesus in general, no matter how severe you feel like your hamster wheel is, Jesus is here this morning and he is inviting you to be renewed. He has a little bit of more newness that he wants to call you into. The Bible teaches that those who are in Christ are a new creation, which is amazing. So it's almost like Jesus' new work begins with us people. And that the process of following Jesus, what we call sanctification, is the process of being continually and more gradually renewed until that day that Jesus completes the work he's begun when we and everything else is made new. I can testify to this over the past few weeks. Um, I got to the end of Thanksgiving and like November was exhausting. Can we just all agree that that was, don't want to do that again, <laughs> you know? Um, everything else has been exhausting in this year, whatever. I don't need to talk about 2020, you get it. I got to Thanksgiving and I was beat. There's a few things that have helped me medicate in 2020. One of those has been banjo. So it's like when I've been really dismal like and isolated, I just learn another banjo tune and pray for Marissa that that has been my chosen form of medication is banjo music at, at the household. Uh, but I was so beat, like none of the things that usually worked would work. Like I didn't want to play banjo anymore. Uh, even like spiritually, I just felt dry, exhausted, fragile, stretched. 
All all the Naruto words applied to me. Impenetrable, withered, insecure, stretched out. Yeah, that's me. And I went on a prayer day and uh, sat before the Lord and just was myself. And then at the end of it, just wasn't a profound prayer, but something I felt in God's presence, just saying like, I would love help. I need, I need some help here, some renewal. I need a breakthrough. And the next day and over the next weeks, I'm shocked to say that God actually started sending me help. People who I really respected reached out to me and were like, hey, can I, can I help you in this? Can I, I want to speak into your life in this way and in this way and in this way. And all of a sudden, before I knew it, I just noticed God doing a new thing in me. Part of that process, um, as we see in John the Baptist, you prepare the way for the Lord with repentance. Part of that process was seeing things that weren't renewed yet in me, that I didn't even know Jesus knew about. And all of a sudden, I have these things, and I'm like, oh, wow, that needs to be transformed in Jesus. That part of me is unconverted. And then that led to this great idea that I have more adventures in front of me that I didn't even know a week ago were ahead of me. There's even more ways to be renewed that I didn't know about, and I truly feel God's breath, kind of the breath of Aslan, starting to breathe in my life again. Now, all my problems have not been solved overnight. There were no fireworks, right? Everything hasn't utterly been fixed. There's a lot that I'm still processing, but I do believe it's been a miracle, an everyday miracle that God offers every one of you. I know that it was God. So I want to finish and go back to the the two ways that we deal with the cycle of weariness that we feel in our life that we talked about before. First of all, some of you don't believe in new things. Um, I've been let down too much. I have let myself down too much. I don't buy it anymore. You can go sell that somewhere else. Thank you very much, Isaiah. I've seen the world just be too messed up. I don't think there's anything that that can be new. You stop at Ecclesiastes. Here's the challenge for you this morning. Take God up on it. I think the, the greatest application would be for you to find some quiet time in prayer and to make the brave and bold prayer of God. Can you actually do something new in my life? I am open to it. And that's brave because one of the ways that God leads us into newness is through repentance. So God might show you, oh, I totally want to renew you like he did me, but I need you to consider this first. I need you to repent of this first. I need you to acknowledge that there's some death and some oldness that you're carrying around that I want you to detach from. Take God up on it. Some of you are continually searching for the new thing under the sun. Always. You grab one, you kind of suck it dry, and then it, it leaves you, and so you go to a new one. Boom, boom, boom. Well-thumbed Oprah magazines and Magnolia journals. Uh, you've been all through the, you've had multiple midlife crises with multiple toys, multiple hobbies that were going to be the solution. Jump from diet to diet. Idea to idea. Some of you do this in an intellectual way. But it's like medication that never fully heals the wound. It drains as quickly as it fills. Here's your challenge. 
Jesus is the new thing under the sun. Not other stuff. Jesus is the new thing under the sun. He is the only one. All of that other stuff, listen, I love hobbies. I don't think banjo is evil. God has given me the gift of banjo. But all of those things set apart and separated from and pursued as the new thing, aside from Jesus, are vanity. Don't think you're wiser or more developed than the preacher of Ecclesiastes. You're not. It's vain. It's driftwood in the river that flows into the sea that is never full. But in Jesus, what things are made new? All things. So for you, that might look like in prayer, Lord Jesus, I have an appetite for so much in the world right now. There's so much that I want. There's so much that I personally want to become that I think will solve things. I don't even have an appetite for you as the new thing. I don't even think you're possibly the new way because I'm so fixed on these other things. Lord Jesus, help my appetite increase for you. Help me to see that you are the new thing. So we take a, t- a step towards him. We can do this as a people. And God is doing a new thing. Jesus is the new thing under the sun. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, oh, we, we thank you for Advent. We thank you for this feast that we get every year in our church calendar that just puts us in this mode of, of thinking about your first coming and longing for your second, thinking about how you've begun something and you're developing it and you're doing it in us right now that we are waiting for you to come back and finish. And God, I pray that you would minister that word new to us as a congregation, to everyone who's watching right now. Lord, I pray that we would be able to take steps towards you in prayer this week. And Lord, I pray that you would meet us. Lord, we, we long to be renewed. We want to be a part of this new thing in Jesus that you are doing. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.